Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 4, Among the Lotus Eaters. So, the last few weeks I've been like, man, Strange New Worlds is really entertaining me. Maybe it's improved, maybe it's taken a big upswing. I hated this episode. (laughs) I was not having a great time. My notes were, ugh, Pike. And then why is Ortegas recording her very first log entry? And then the high-pitched noise began. And I just wanted to rip out my ears and throw them across the room. I took my headphones off, but it kept happening. And I just wanted to yeet myself to a time in the future where I had already seen this episode and didn't have to sit through it. I wanted time skip inducing migraines to happen to me. I just didn't have a good time. That is a very strong reaction. Truthfully, I just don't like high pitched noises. That's fair. Who does? Mm. And Mm. it it was a choice. It was on purpose that they had the high pitched, the audience be Mm. able to hear Mm. the high pitched noise, presumably to annoy us. And so we would relate to the Mm -hmm. characters in that way. But it's also, it's annoying. So I I understand (laughs) your reaction. Yeah, I definitely think it could have been conveyed in a less literal way, like a brief high pitched noise going into silence, perhaps. As it is, I'm definitely going to tweet out a warning before this episode airs, because I think people who actually have tinnitus, as I don't, are going to struggle. I was going to say, I really feel for people who have actual sensory issues Mm. with that type of thing, Mm. which is also a spectrum of people. So, yes, I didn't hate this episode. I didn't care. Mm. (laughs) I don't care. I don't care about Ortegas. And so... Like, they've already lost me. They already lost me on Ortegas. I'm never going to care about her. And they gave me absolutely nothing more. There's no additional information to make me like her more. I had heard that this was the Ortegas episode, and I was like, okay, finally. They're going to give us something new. They're going to give me a reason to care about her. And it's like it's like it was a big joke. We learn that she flies the ship. Right. So... Ortega's mantra of flying the ship was probably the most successful mm-hmm. part of this episode. Like I, I cared the most when she was doing her mantra because I relate to that. I I am super all about mantras mm. and reminding myself who I am through those words and that repeating concept mm. that was very true to life to me. But exactly, we already knew that. That is the one Mm. thing we already knew. The only thing we know about her. We also (laughs) learn that she values a good hat, which, fair, and she aspires to be more than just the pilot. And that was the other very frustrating thing about this episode, that it's kind of patting the yeoman and the pilots on the head and going, "Mm, stay where you are, honey. Don't aspire to be anything more. 
Right. Like, what is the message here? The message is I want to be something else. And then I find out that what I am is great. And so I should just stay here. And yeah. I was wrong yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Which is what? <laughs> Again, the same way that people can love more than one person, people can be more than one thing. Right, right. You can be an excellent pilot who flies the ship better than anyone else. And you can also do other stuff. And we've been seeing this with Mabenga as he's put into a sort of warrior role. And this was where I wrote my note. This feels like a Stargate Atlantis episode, parentheses, derogatory. Because the thing about SGA, which I am reluctantly watching for the first time, is that all of its black characters, no matter how they start out, end up being put in a little box that says, warrior. And I love that Mabenga is the fighting doctor and he has very conflicted feelings about this, but I don't love the implications. It was also weird that he was specifically chosen to go on this away team mission because he has like hand-to-hand combat mm. skills. Mm. <laughs> like I liked that last episode we introduced mm. Benga and La'an as sparring partners who have their martial arts and boxing and hand-to-hand combat. Like yes, that, you yes. know, ooh, continuity. I always love continuity. Also, I ship it. <laughs> but it was strange. And also because he's like, I need you, Menga, and then we're going to go on the shuttle and I'm not going to tell you why I need you mm, until we get there. Mm. But I'm going to like suggest that it's not because you're a doctor, but because you're a fighter. And But I'm not going to confirm that. And it was, it was just weird. Mm. Like... The whole bit about tricking Ortegas, like, I know that it was Spock's, like, found information, and so she got kicked off at the last minute, but it was still like, why is this happening? No. I don't, I don't want any of this. It all felt like a trick. Yes. And I understand that this is a writing problem, but it makes Pike seem like a really poor leader. Right. And we open with poor Battelle. First, missing out on a promotion because Admiral Worst Vulcan is the Worst Vulcan. And then Pike's like, hmm, this seems hard. I'm going to break up with you. And I'm like, okay, buddy, you're a piece of shit. Her line was like, yeah, great timing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just like, seriously, what is wrong with him? What is wrong with him? It's not all about you. See, my notes are like, well, at least he didn't bring up his pre-traumatic stress. <laughs> <laughs> right. The subtext is there, though. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I hate that. I hate that Pike being upset about his future disability is is running his life is like the subtext of everything thanks to the first season. I've also given up on Pike. I can't like Ortegas and I can't like Pike. They're just dead to me. One of my notes is, do we think it's coincidence that they basically have the same haircut? And also, I maintain that I don't understand their relationship at all because Ortegas was in the war and Enterprise Uh was not. Yeah. Ortegas was not on the Enterprise. She was in the war somewhere else Mm. with someone else, some other crew. Did they like lend her to the war effort because she's such a warmonger? And they had a previous relationship. Like, okay, but... 
did they know each other? And then he requested her at last for the Enterprise before the first season premiere. It's very unclear to me. I don't understand why she's hazing Uhura if she's also new to the ship. I don't understand why Pike sometimes seems to be like buddy-buddy with her and other times seems to be trying to be a mentor. Mm. I don't understand anything about her taste and I don't like that. It's not that she's a one-note character anymore. She's like a three-note character, but the notes are very discordant. Yes, I am angry with Pike for letting her come to the corridor. They're not even in a, like a private room. They're in the middle of the ship, in the middle of the corridor. She's dressed for the away team. She's excited about her hat. And he was like, just kidding. You have to stay here. That is not how that goes. No, this situation, like, I feel like if this was the Enterprise D, Data would find something and Picard would have a conversation with that officer in his ready room. In Voyager, when Janeway decided that it was too dangerous to let Tom do the Warp 10 Mm. mission, she literally went to his quarters. Yeah, yeah. She went into his space to have that conversation so that he was as safe as possible. Like, what are you doing, Pike? It's just disrespectful. And and that's kind of why I was on the side of the yeoman who has set himself up as a little lordling, which is, again, a very Stargate Atlantis plotline. I know it's also very original series, but... It is very original series, but it's usually like an admiral. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's coming from a junior officer leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Right, exactly. Because at the end of the episode, Pike's like... It didn't change you, it just revealed who you were and you're a horrible person who's going to go to our Federation penal colonies now. Bye. Mm. And I'm like, like mm. cool, cool story. But we're skipping to the end. <laughs> to go back to the beginning, I do not understand what Battelle sees in Pike. Yeah, deserves better. She does, especially because Discovery has told us that Pike is still very hung up on Vina. And so it kind of feels like they simultaneously have this casual relationship between adults. You know, they're friends with benefits, but also they're trying to be something more. And when it becomes something more, it feels like Pike is stringing her along. Right. Not because of his future disability, but because he still has feelings for someone else. And also because, so he lost his memory and decided he's in love with her? Mm. Ew. That is a rom-com cliche, mm. and she deserves better. She deserves better. She should date Una. Yes, she should date Una, Una who likes her. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do want to shout out Patel's pink eyeshadow because it doesn't suit her. It doesn't suit her uniform. It doesn't look professionally applied. It is purely a bit of character detail and I love it and as someone who has also been known to dabble in ill-advised pink eye makeup I'm totally on board and also I just want to put it out there I really like Battelle she made great expressions in her court episode I'm having so much fun with her facial expressions I love that actress and I totally want her to be a part of the show. She can take over the Enterprise. Mm, (laughs) I'm fine with that. mm. (laughs) But I don't, like, Pike is just, he's not the guy for her. Yeah, yeah. I was not interested in her at all until 
episode two of this season where suddenly she's involved with things outside of her relationship with Pike. And this one, it was cute. Like their their opening scene had cute little, oh, we, we can't kiss. Oh, we're, you know, it was very, mm, mm. it was like, they were trying to win me over. They were doing like, they were pulling Canera and I was into it. Then he just completely fails to read the room twice in that scene and then again with Ortegas and then he's like wearing her necklace for whatever reason because mm. <laughs> he's he just broke up with her and he's feeling like sad and regret and so he's wearing the gift and then that feeling is like what he thinks he's he's that that's mm. that's a core of his identity is his love for this person that he can't remember and Ew, I don't like any of that. All of that is manipulative. And then you bring that back to Yeoman Zack and Pike's alleged love for Battelle is no more defining of him than Zack's apparent ambition. So why is Zack being punished like this? Why is he the villain? Like, no one on Rigel 7 can be said to be in their right mind. And then finally, just... The fact that three of four relationships have had a subplot about a romantic relationship Mm. is interesting. They're all heteronormative. Mm -hmm. I would actually say four of four because I think the Pike-Battel relationship was subtextually present. It was a part of that episode, Mm. but it wasn't... Yeah, it was subtextually present, but it wasn't like a, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, and it's weird. I love shipping, so I'm totally into it. Like, oh, yes, yeah. let's have all the shipping. I'm not complaining about it. It's just interesting that their version of characterization is specifically linked to romance. Yeah. Certainly there are friendships among the crew, and God knows I'm the one who saw Laad and Mabenka interacting and was immediately like, I want them to kiss. But that's me as a fan. If I were writing, I would show some more restraint and, you know, explore other dynamics. I think... The issue is that because there's so few episodes in a season... Mm, everything jumps out. Right. So it's in every episode. And again, I I love romance. I want there to be more Mm. romance, but I like the slow burns. Yes. (laughs) Instead of the bottle episode romances. Yeah. I like the shorter seasons overall, but I feel like they've killed the slow burn romance and that's sad. And I forgot what I was going to say. Something, a high pitched noise went through my head and I had a migraine and now I'm here. (laughs) (sighs) Migraines are terrible. I have the vision, the oh the, no, the little lights migraines. Mm. Then that's bad. It's bad too. So yeah. yeah, I feel for everybody on this horrible planet where they an asteroid ruins their existence. What's wild to I, me is that we have this sort of two-tiered society with a, effectively a surf class, and mm-hmm. they have their little yurts. But their yurts are incredibly elaborate, and they have the totem to tell them their history and I'm like when did they get the time to build that when did they remember with like I guess what's his face the old guy who sort of mentors everyone once had a family so multiple people could work on it but I feel like the world building didn't hold up and in some ways that's because this is literally a TOS flashback this is 
the planet that they had just left in the cage at the beginning of that episode. But I don't know. I feel like audiences demand more and better from their world building these days. You can't just go, hey, here's a fantasy planet with a big sky and a matte painting. I mean, you can, but you need to do more than that. Yeah, like... There was a, there was a, you know, subtext of, yes, the two-tiered caste system and income inequities. Mm. Only the ruling class gets to have memories, but they didn't go anywhere with that. No. They, like, introduced this idea of memory is valued, mm. but they don't go anywhere with that. And the serfs and their totem pole, like what yeah what so there it's sort of a faith-based religion type thing outside the palace but inside the palace it's scientific and like you know medical there's a lot going on there and I don't understand it really any of it no and I don't know what they were trying to say I also don't understand why Pike's landing party the original one carried so many phases not just phases, but phaser rifles, that we have this fully armed guard. Yeah, that right. It was weird because, you know, where did they get the ammunition for that? Like, did they leave a replicator? Like, <laughs> what's happening here? Quite often with Star Trek episodes, this is the stuff that occurs to me the next day in the shower, and I think that's fine. But with this episode, I was thinking about it as I was watching it because I was not engaged with the story on any level. And so it was really frustrating. And as you say, the thesis of this episode is very, very muddled. Again, I don't know what, I don't know what it's trying to say because Mm -hmm. they have these dueling ideas of a person's identity is not only their memories, it's also their feelings and their vibes, their, their relationships, except they're going to risk all of that to get their Mm. memories back because Mm. actually what they really need is their Mm. memories and a person is not their identity that they can have multiple identities that they can be a different type of thing in a different circumstance like with Mbenga but also the climax of the episode is I am a pilot yes (laughs) oh I just had this terrible thought like this episode is directly derived from the cage which is a pilot and then we have ortegas repeating i am a pilot this is so (laughs) stupid i'm sorry to have introduced this half thought into the world but i also had it it appeared in my head and i had to express it i almost spit out my drink (laughs) you said because it's a reference to the pilot and i was like oh my god (laughs) that is the stupidest greatest theory ever I hope it's true. This is my silliest Star Trek theory ever, and I stand by it. (laughs) But I also have to note, like, on the topic of Chris Pike being the worst, he has this thing where he just leaves people to die, like Yeoman Zack and the First Servant and Katrina Cornwell, and why is this man allowed to (laughs) captain a starship? He's really bad at it. Is that his identity, which has been hammered into us, is I'm a Boy Scout. Mm. I'm the best that Starfleet Mm. has to offer. 
I have to survive and everyone else has to, you know, be sacrificed to my legend. And mm. I don't think that Pike believes that, but I think that there is this, this subconscious willingness to sacrifice all mm. for that identity of best and most moral and most important Starfleet captain. Mm. And he, like, he doesn't want to embody that but like he's willing to sacrifice himself to it and so he doesn't see the difference between sacrificing himself and sacrificing everybody else this is actually really interesting as a subconscious drive in him because then you get to his disabling accident where he gives up his healthy self to save others and it's like this is his redemptive act this is what he is doing to make up for the many people he has left to die on his path to ultimate power. The ultimate power of being a Starfleet fleet captain, apparently. We know that he gives up his life for a bunch of cadets. Mm. Like, there's a lot going on. It, it makes Pike more interesting to have this sort of subconscious dark side. Yes. But I, once again, I don't think the writers know they're writing that. No, no. They probably still think Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach is a really good episode. You know, he in this episode, Pike is the conquering hero. Pike, yeah. La, you know, La'an is injured, and so he has to save her. So he and Benga and La'an storm the castle, and Mimbenga also ends up sidelined and so he mm. he leaves them behind like, yeah you yeah. know he brings them along to a point but when mm. it becomes you know fulfill the mission or mm. take care of these people he fulfills the mission mm. and that's always going to be his choice his choice yeah. is always to fulfill the mission because he thinks that the mission is most important and I like that. And I don't think that's intrinsically bad. That's sort no. of the lesson that Deanna had to learn in her mm -hmm. command training program. It's just that it is a difficult and problematic choice and we never get to sit with it. I don't even think it's intentional. Right. So if Rigel 7 doesn't change you and just reveals who you are, mm -hmm. then what it what is it saying about Pike? Right. It's saying he's kind of awful which I knew, like, this is not news to me. <laughs> but he's considered by Starfleet and by fandom as the best captain ever. Well, we know that Starfleet is bad and we know that fandom is worse. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's not fair. I think, I think he is the captain that Starfleet needs at this time. He does have a strong ethical core. He is a decent person. Mm. Out of all of the captains we've seen in this era, which is not that many, and one is Lorca, who is an outlier and should not be counted. But without Giorgio, Pike does seem to be the best of the lot. And even Giorgio went straight from zero to war crimes in the Discovery pilot. So I do think that this is an institutional issue with Starfleet as a whole. Yeah, and so, okay, so now let's look at Kirk from last episode, mm. who is in a, a different version of Starfleet, a more isolationist yeah. version of Starfleet. But he was trying harder, 
In a way, I think because he he was aspiring to the Starfleet that we have mm, in our universe. Yeah. And so in that light, it shows this Starfleet as mm. the utopian one that we want to believe mm. in. And so that's interesting. And it is, it's also interesting that eventually we get to Kirk. Yes. And I think that Kirk is both a pike and a better pike mm. <laughs> that that he has those tendencies to choose the mission overall and to sacrifice what's necessary, but he also chooses to save people yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't give up yes. on people. And that's in part his journey and the people around him. Right, That right. he loses Gary Mitchell and chooses to take on some of his friend's traits, but he also has Spock and McCoy beside him. And... Pike doesn't have the Spock, he has a Spock. And also Pike is a fully formed human by the time Spock comes into his life. I think Pike is a very complacent person. He has been held up as the ideal of Starfleet. And to some degree, as you say with the Boy Scout thing, he's really bought into that. And at the same time, Strange New Worlds is a really complacent Star Trek. I think it's important as you said, to think of it in the context of this era of Star Mm, Trek, mm. that we can't get to the Kirks and the Picards Mm. if we don't go through this first. Uh, And we, you know, look at Archer. Like, Right, right. It's better than Archer. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's an actual evolution happening Mm, here. mm. And I think that that is welcome i want yeah i want it to be complicated mm. i want to see the timeline of trek not remain the same mm. but yeah. actually grow and change and you know this makes michael burnham the best star trek <laughs> captain ever so great a plus plus yes. <laughs> and i can absolutely see someone like wesley crusher or harry kim writing essays about the academy about you know was christopher pike really that great that would be an amazing fake academic paper that someone should write. Mm, definitely. <laughs> Most excellent. You're making me like Pike more by <laughs> saying that he's kind of terrible. I like that better. Well, I know you're an Archer fan. <laughs> I'm an Archer fan because he's the worst. Right. And certainly no one writing Enterprise knew that or intended for Archer to be the worst. No! He was just the product of a particular era in American history and American masculinity. And I think Pike is the same. I think Pike is very much a product of the post-Obama era and the rise of the alt-right and all of that. And he is a liberal's idea of a good man. You're right. I was going to say he's the quote-unquote one good white man. Yes, which (laughs) is why his being shut down in Ad Astra was so satisfying. Exactly. you and I, we've met the one good white man. We know he ain't shit, but (laughs) this is, bless it, a show written by mostly white people and I think it's a roughly 50-50 writer's room, but... And by all accounts, Akiva Goldsman is a good white man. He's great to work with. He's very professional. He's not a dick. And apparently that's a low bar to clear in Hollywood. So I'm glad that Strange New Worlds is made by good people. But again, complacency. 
I have to look something up before yeah, I say yeah. it. I just want to make sure I'm correct. That's okay. My cat is screaming outside the door, so. Yes, I was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Akiva Goldsman went to Wesleyan University. Oh. Which is where I work. Yes. And I just want to say that Strange New Worlds is 100% the Star Trek that Wesleyan University alums would make. Oh, oh dear. I'm all so of, sorry. All of New Trek is. All of New Trek yeah, is. Yeah. In, in different ways and uh because wesleyan is a tiny liberal arts college that is known for pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. but it has been affected by the elite college trend mm-hmm. of the arts yes <laughs> and so i assume that ikita you know, went to college in the 80s, 90s, whatever. So I can totally see his, you know, Bradley Whitford also went to Wesleyan. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's that's what I need to say. Yeah. They're probably peers. So no shade on either man, but they are very much a product of the elite liberal arts East Coast college milieu, which is great. Exactly. I love that for them. I wish I'd had that education myself. Right. And but like, you can see it in again all of the, the mm, Discovery, mm. Picard, and Strange New Worlds are all very different. But also, you can see that like striving mm. liberal arts elitism in all of them in yes. different ways. Yes. <laughs> and so it's fun to think of like this is my childhood and mm. my adulthood. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is my entire <laughs> life on screen. And so of course I like all of them in different ways. Mm. And also get angry at all of them in different ways. Of course. This is your community, basically. And it does yeah. explain why I feel that Star Trek has suffered to an extent since Bo Yon Kim left with Erica Lepold, because she didn't have that American liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. She's not even American. And I truly mm-hmm. think that Star Trek, as written by an outsider, has something really remarkable that is right. hard to reproduce. As soon as you said her name, I was like, we need the outsider perspective. Yeah, yeah. We need the outsider perspective to point at the mm. totally aspirational mm. elite liberal mm. arts guidelines. <laughs> like, you know, it's what you want. They're the people who believe in a utopia. Yeah, yeah. But you need the outsider perspective to point at it and say, mm. you can't get from A to B. Mm. this way Mm. this is missing you're leaving behind all of these people Mm. yes and also that this particular way of seeing the world is not the only way to build a utopia right whose utopia is this oh my gosh whose utopia is this anyway i am definitely going to title this episode that And I'm so happy that you got us onto this tangent because I started out so incoherent when we began recording and now I feel like you've led us into saying something clever. (laughs) Well, it's my (laughs) education. (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) I am very self-aware. Can I just say... I expect that I am more self-aware than Akiva Goldsman or Bradley Whitford. Well, you're a woman, so you have to be. Let's talk about how Ortegas, with her memories gone, 
instantly mistrusts Spock <laughs> and has to work to trust him again. Maybe we're being unfair and she does have characterization and it's just characterization I don't like. I think at this stage in the season, that's where we're at. She has a personality. It's just bad. It's not what I want. Mm. But also, oh my gosh, she's sort of written in a more working class way than Mm -hmm. Pike and Una and Spock. And so, of course, she's racist because the liberal arts bubble thinks that the working class is super racist. Is intrinsically racist. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Well, that's awful. Everything (laughs) everything that you just said is bad news. Start strange (laughs) new worlds. Let's unpack that and and fix it. Mm. Not to insult your liberal arts bubble, because I really do occupy a similar sort of university-educated middle-class bubble in the Australian Um, context. I have concerns. I have lots of concerns. So, okay, let's. what's good about Ortegas? What's good about Ortegas is when she gets the computer to tell her where she lives so yes. that she can get to a safe space and that it works. Yes. She feels better in surroundings that she is familiar with. Even if she can't remember them, mm. she feels comfortable there. Now, I hate, hate with a capital H, the fact that the only thing in her quarters mm. that it spends any time lingering on is a starship model because yes. that just says guess what she flies the ship <laughs> no i had the same reaction literally anything out like some books mm. <laughs> a stuffed animal like mm. i want anything a plant mm. <laughs> can we get something that says more of her personality i don't want her room to look like someone looked up Colombian aesthetic on Pinterest. But I know Colombia has a very rich textile arts culture. I was hoping to see a rug or a cushion or something small. I was going to say, how about some hats? Yeah. Where is her hat stand? <laughs> Let's build off of what she said earlier. Mm. That was depressing. But I liked her reaction. I liked that scene. Mm, I mm. liked I liked the fact that she was smart enough to ask the computer and realize the computer was answering her. Yes. There were like 20 people wandering around the corridors not talking to the computer. Right, right. I also think that we can make something out of the lack of decoration in Ortegas's quarters. She fought in the war and so she travels light. And she's quippy and speaks her mind but she also doesn't reveal anything of herself okay see you're making her a better character good job making erica ortegas a better character you're so welcome in the scene where she's wandering the corridor and we get one recognizable person christine Mm. and they sort of have this moment where they look at each other and then just move on because Mm. they've decided they don't care which honestly i appreciate because a lot of people say that they're best friends and I don't, they, they have had one scene together. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and then, you know, we get to see one young man on the floor curling his arms around his knees and very upset. It was reminiscent of when Jack Crusher goes into the security guard's mm. mind to see like all the people who are terrified of being under the control of Vatic, which was interesting to me because it was sort of like, 
fear. We're supposed to be getting fear out of this. Yeah, yeah. That, that without our memories and without our identities, our base emotion is fear. Mm. Except for Christine Chapel, who's literally just wandering around, sort of like looking at, at the world and trying to figure it out, which mm. I, I also appreciate. I, I re- realize that I'm reading a lot into my favorite character, but that's what I do. No, that's what we're here for. <laughs> I liked that Spock stayed on the bridge. Yes. I really liked that as a character choice that reads very true to Spock that even though he didn't know who he was, even though he looked at his, you know, explanation of who Spock was and didn't feel any connection mm, to it, that mm. he was still like, I belong in the bridge. I'm in charge. Mm, I have mm. to be here. I have to watch this. That was great. You yes. know, again, it reveals who you are. So there were interesting things they were trying to say in those scenes, and I appreciate them. I, I like that Christine was trying to solve the problem. Mm. Those Mbenga have no other staff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's fine. I'm okay with it. <laughs> but it's, it's funny. Mm. But it, that's just, you know, that's a television ensemble issue. Not Right, right. <laughs> it's fine. I can hand wave. Mm. I just wanted to point it out. Yes. So there were good moments in this episode. There were, there were interesting things this episode was trying to say, but it completely failed to actually say any of them, is my opinion. I completely agree, and I'm just really disappointed that Strange New Worlds has reverted to form, basically. This felt like a season (laughs) one episode. I mean, I think you're right that it felt like a TOS episode. Yeah, that too. Well, I think that if this was a TOS episode, we would have had a whole thing where Spock forgets who he is and then loses his emotional control. But this is not a Spock episode, so... He stays in control. Yeah, the thing... Strange New Worlds has a lot of things over TOS, in my opinion. But one notable thing is that it actually is an ensemble Mm, show. Yeah. And they've really leaned into that in this second season. They have been moving the focus around so that Mm. it's not just about this person or that person. And I do appreciate that La'an has been a big part of the ensemble through every episode. Even here where she's effectively sidelined by losing her memories and then being injured. You know, even not knowing who she is, she is still cautious and untrusting and extremely willing to get into a fight. And she's the catalyst again, as in the first episode. And I also want to say that Mbenga has played an important role in a lot of the episodes. yes. You're right about the, like, I'm a little worried they're leaning into the warrior doctor Mm. thing. But, again, I I really appreciate that they are giving him things to do and characterization that is separate from a child, that is separate from someone else, that they're talking about him. And, you know, we didn't talk about the sparring scene in last week's episode. It was a tiny scene. Mm. I loved that he was both her sparring partner and he was also saying, hey, as your doctor, this is, your anger is a little out of control here. (laughs) Maybe let's dial it back a little. That did not feel like it was shoehorning Mabenga as the black man into the warrior role because because he was doing multiple things at once. And it felt like it was specific to Mabenga. Like, this is not how Beverly Crusher would do her job, or Julian Bashir. And also that he was being shown as someone who is La'an's friend. Yes. That La'an has difficulty with friends and feels isolated, 
but she does have people. Yes, yes. She has a relationship with Una, and it's clear that she has a at least a working relationship with Mbenga that is, mm. you know, yeah. that, that is strong. And yeah. so I liked that as well. And that was seen in this episode, obviously. Like, this episode built on that and said, you know, that she is important to him, that he is important to her. And so they, they know a few things that Pike doesn't about mm. each other. Yeah. And so I like that. I like that mm. kind of. I definitely think Mabenga needs a love interest because he keeps interacting with people, mostly women. He's mainly interacted with women through his run on the show and he has chemistry he, with everyone everyone and he we should has use chemistry that with everyone yeah, yeah. Like, i am so into it he is such a romantic lead i'm way more interested in his romances than pikes oh absolutely he can date Patel. oh my who gosh still doesn't, she still doesn't have her first name right no like, she doesn't why why are we doing this in terms of comparing her to other recurring female characters with straight brown hair, we knew Katrina Cornwell's f- first name before it was said out loud in Lethe because it was in extraneous material on the website and stuff. Battelle, nothing. At this point, I'm going to be disappointed when it's not Winona. <laughs> I'm just angry that she doesn't have a name. I don't know. I think Sarah Battelle has a nice ring to it. It sounds like a plausible name, but we just had a Romulan named Sarah, so maybe it's too we soon. Don't, we don't want to. We don't want yeah, to uh, yeah. suggest anything. Oh, Battelle no. is not a secret Romulan. I, I mean, no, she's not. She's not. I don't. No, I mean, who'd see it coming though? She's one of the good ones, then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. So this episode, uh, it stumbled. Mm. Mostly, I don't care. I don't hate it. I just don't care. I think that, uh, what's the yeoman's name? Zach. Zach. I think that yeoman Zach is a one-note character with nothing to offer. Mm. Mm. We don't uh, get to know him at all. Because he is so low in rank, and because we know that, again, Pike sacrifices himself for cadets. Mm. He feels like a continuation of the Strange New World Hates Children <laughs> concept. Strange New Worlds Hates Children and the Working Classes. Yeah, Strange New Worlds Hates Children and the Working Classes. And that's a problem that they should mm-hmm. work on. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, so here in the real world, yes, we seem to be trying to recreate the early 20th century as much as possible we've had a pandemic Mm -hmm. we uh, have got a russian civil war going on we've had stock market and recession Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. we've got child labor laws being rolled back Mm -hmm. we've had a a titanic disaster What are we doing? And so I feel like it's related. I feel like Strange New World is looking at all of that and saying, you know, uh, we have to comment on this, but they're not commenting anything new. No, it's kind of like when Voyager does an episode about how the Vietnam War is bad. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to see rehashed Mm. 
uh, Star Trek messages, as great as they were and as relevant as they remain, mm. I think we need to react to our current reality. And yeah. as much as our current reality resembles the early 20th century, it is also wildly different. The early 21st century is very different. And it's also not what Star Trek predicted. And right. I think that mm. we need to comment on that. Yeah. That's why last week's episode was so great. And this week's episode is like, yeah, no. Yeah, Ad Astra and Tomorrow and Tomorrow both felt like they were saying things about the world right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Well, Katrina Cornwell, if she was on this planet, <laughs> and forgot who she was, yeah. except for her feelings and her vibes, would probably have one of her yurts. Yes. And she would invite people in to discuss their feelings mm. and their vibes. Mm. And then she would help them write a story mm. about what it means and what her, their identity is. And that's narrative therapy. And that's what I want to do with my life. So mm. I support it. I love it. I do wonder if she would be a yurt person or if she would be a castle person. But I feel like it could go either way. I like to believe in our better angels. <laughs> really? I think, sadly, the Katrina Cornwell of our universe got blown up. But the Katrina Cornwell of the Mirror Universe is alive and well and hanging out at T'Pring and Ston's rehabilitation spa, learning how to be a citizen in a democracy without killing people. Ooh. Lorca is also there, but for different reasons. Ooh. Mm. 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 Bringing T'Pring and Ston into Katrina Cornwell's life is very promising. <laughs> I just think, you know, you have a mirror universe person who maybe wants to live in our universe and try and be better. Who better than Vulcan rehab specialists? Excellent. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for theme music, and transcripts of our episodes when the AI is working for us. <sighs> You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at AntimatterPod, and on Mastodon at AntimatterPod on the 10 Forward instance. You can write to us at mail at AntimatterPod.com. If you like us, please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. We love new listeners. Thanks for listening. And join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of Strange New World Season 3, Charades. Hooray! I can't believe we only have two screeners left.